Hi, and welcome to Dinner Table Talks, <laughs> the weekly podcast with me, Joe Hilliard, and of course I'm joined with... It's Lynn Campbell! A podcast <laughs> for people that, uh, I don't know, are exploring a relationship with food. A podcast for people that have odd conversations on a daily basis. A podcast for people that enjoy cooking in their home. A podcast for those that love gardens and gardening. <laughs> A podcast for people that enjoy hearing the buzzing of a fly in a microphone from time to time. A podcast for people that just are excited to know that there are people out there in the world that are having good days and bad days. A podcast for people that like random topics. In fact, I'll give you an example. You said recently that you wanted to go on a trip with me. I do. You and I have not been on a vacation in years, literally. And our whole relationship was founded upon the idea that we loved to travel and would spend a lot of time traveling together. It's time. It's very much time. You suggested August. That's because I can only travel in January or August. Prior to COVID times, we had purchased tickets to go see the Black Crows in Houston. Mm -hmm. That concert appears to be on a Saturday in August. Oh, how perfectly timed. In Houston. <sighs> go ahead. Houston is not my favorite place to visit. My favorite place to visit is anywhere that I'm with you. We're going to hear some live music. Oh, I just rolled We're my gonna eyes. Eat, uh, yeah, they heard it. We're <laughs> going to have some fantastic food. Yeah, I think there's a special place in hell for Houston. Oh, no. I lived in Houston for many years. <laughs> there's a I lot of stuff it. in Houston. There's I a love lot Houston. of stuff in Houston. You lived in Houston two decades ago. Let's be real. Come on. Was it two decades ago? At least. Well, I miss it. I enjoyed Houston very much. Okay, so a trip to Houston in August to see a band, eat some great food. Sounds like a fun time. I can enjoy anything. Maybe we could stay in an outlying area and like explore that region in a way we haven't before yes <laughs> okay. outlying regions are good <laughs> this rabbit hole has ended let's start a new one let's just go to college station and see Cortland. last week we talked about maybe doing a new segment and i'm prepared to do it i i was excited about this too i think it's an it'll be an important part of how the podcast goes for us for a while anyways because this concept of seasonality is so important to me yeah, it is. and everything that I communicate about with the world mm -hmm. that I think that bringing it into the podcast does one of two things. One, it gives me more ability to educate more people about seasonality of food. And two, it gives us the ability to help out those folks that would love it if we would create a cookbook, but we haven't gotten to that yet. But this would help people know what else we were cooking at this time of year and what when to look for certain things and things like that. When you grow food the way that you do, and then it's important that that food come into our kitchen and into our bodies. As quickly as possible for freshness and deliciousness. And You live a, well, how would you call it, like an annual cyclical expectation of what's going to be coming in? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, turn. I turned my attention then to the episode we released in season one, episode 36. That's exactly one year ago, one day off. Gotcha. Title of the episode, Teriyaki Beef, Bao Chicka Wow Wow. Bao Chicka Wow Wow. Do you remember what Bao Chicka Wow Wow was about? No. This exercise is like going back and reading a journal. Oh, yes. In the episode one year ago today, you announced that you had left your corporate job. Oh, and yeah, began. that's right. It is exactly a year since I've been focused on my own business. No, You're right. May, mid-May, right before Mother's Day, around Mother's Day. Yeah. 
Bow Chicka Wow Wow refers to 70s porno music, which we go into in detail. And we did have an episode of Backyard TV on that episode, which we don't really do much anymore. No, no. It didn't fly as well as we maybe had thought at first. No, I thought it was great. The Backyard TV segment you did was about lizard orgies, and we got to bring back <laughs> the 70s porno music again in the episode. That was and great now production. now we're like, after the whole February freeze thing happened, now I'm like, everybody mate! Everybody mate! Please make babies! Where are you? We'll be right back. <laughs> Except for the baby's part. <laughs> we did, in that episode, vegetable fried rice with beef teriyaki. Yes, that makes sense. And I mentioned that in that vegetable fried rice was carrots and snow peas. That's the only two vegetables that I mentioned. Oh, interesting. We talk about hacha hacha <laughs> a year ago today. Literally. Seasonal eating. Uh-huh. Clearly, uh-huh. the vegetables coming out of your gardens right now lend themselves to vegetable fried rice because we just talked about it last week. Right. Coincidence? I don't think so. The freeze shifted things a bit and the transition points are a little different. And the other thing to keep it note, a year ago, I was still working a full-time corporate job. So I didn't have the the amount of vegetable production production and gardens that I have now. So last year, most of the stuff that we were putting in things wasn't coming out of my stuff. It was coming from the farmer's market. I know people are still have carrots because you've been picking up carrots. Yes. No peas, right? The peas all froze in the no. freeze. People are bringing in green beans, but not snow right. peas. Right. Because what happened was our gardens got knocked back so hard that there was space to go back in and plant early for some of our summer production stuff. Uh-huh. So we now have somewhat early onset of cucumbers, squash, definitely. There's lots of squash already. We're going to have so much squash this year. The idea that everybody has beans instead of peas right now Mm -hmm. means that they planted beans as soon as the ground thawed, basically. Funny you mentioned squash. The second meal we discussed in the episode was a Mexican squash casserole, and you described it as squash casserole with Mexican spices and lots of cheesy goodness. Mm -hmm. And we enjoyed it so much that we were going to say it's going to be in our rotation. Well, we have squash. A lot of it. And we're not even buying squash from other people. We've got our own squash. We're selling people squash. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So go back to episode 1.36 and hear this time last year. But what it also tells you in terms of seasonality is that the April-May time period in Texas, in South Texas, we have everything. Because I'm pulling Brussels sprouts still. I'm pulling cabbage heads still. I'm sure people still have some broccoli, some carrots, some peas, beans. I mean, now you've got beans, tomatoes, cucumbers, squash, all of that stuff. So this is the ideal time right now. And you're pulling greens, which we'll talk about in just a little while. Mm-hmm. Unanswered questions. Last week, you wanted me to Google hacha hacha. I own that word. That's why. <laughs> it didn't come back. As Aislinn Campbell owns this phrase, <laughs> which is a synonym for a hibachi show, uh-huh. it came back as the single Spanish word, hacha, you're going to drop that H, of course, hacha, which means axe, mostly. It has several meanings. Well, then that's perfect. Axe, 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 I thought axe. the same thing. <laughs> Your hacha hacha has trumped my chicka chicka. That's because I hear other people saying it besides the people that live in my house, which means I've spread Interestingly, my virus, the Aceland virus is spreading. <laughs> hibachi is more of a charcoal grilling method. What we're referring to is called teppanyaki grilling. Huh. Okay. Okay. And, and, and teppanyaki has become synonymous with the show that they put on. But of course, hibachi probably works just fine. I love teppanyaki, mm-hmm. hibachi. It's one of my favorite styles chica, of chica, food. Chica, chica, hacha, hacha, right. 
my favorite styles of food. If I'm going to have to eat a lot of, well, I guess Chinese food, is that China? No, it's Japanese food. That's Japanese food, right? Gone. I don't really like, I just don't like, and everybody already knows this, but I, I don't like like just boring Asian stir fry that we get at the Americanized Chinese food, Szechuan Chinese Hunan food restaurants. chicken comes with a side of rice, chicken, and vegetables in their brown sauce. That's what you're talking about? Yeah, I don't like all That's that That's not your thing. Mm-mm. I love that food. No. It's okay. So if I'm going to eat something like that, it's this tempanyaki. Yeah. But the tempanyaki no, is technically yeah. Japanese, not Chinese, right? Go so, okay, you look it up. Um, because then that gets me into a situation where ultimately what it comes down to is I'm not a huge fan of Chinese food. Yeah, Szechuan Americanized yeah. Chinese food. Yeah, yeah. God, I like it so much. But I love and Savannah. And well, I go, okay, so what's dim sum? Because I like dim sum. That's Chinese food. Oh, this looks this like is a so long, much fun. Okay, we should go to China. Off mic. <laughs> Wait, maybe make not a right list now. <laughs> of everything you want to know the country of origin for when it comes to the style, and we'll bring that next week. I love Asian food. More all different importantly, types, actually. That's the truth. If you're on our social media, you saw photographs from the Farm to Table cooking experience that we detailed last week, your very first one. The second one's already sold out. Mm-hmm. And people would have seen a photograph of a, I want to say a three foot by four foot flat top grill that was mm-hmm. covered in beautiful vegetables, mm-hmm. sizzling, smoking, looking delicious. My green beans, my greens, my stuff. You I understand that when we move out to the farm and I have access to that on any given evening, I could... If I wanted to, put on a teppanyaki show. So so what you're saying is we're having a Joe teppanyaki farm-to-table dinner with a few of our closest friends? Okay, that's... Maybe dinner table talk specialty kind of thing. That's an interesting twist. I would want to do it one time uh-huh. without friends well, and guests and pressure. you'd have to practice. I need to practice because I'm going to do it the whole thing, which okay. means that I'm going to have to learn how to make a volcano uh-huh. out of a sliced onion. It means that you're going to have to learn how to toss shrimp at people better. Into their mouths. No, try to get it like in their ears. Well, speaking up, what? I never had that happen before. No. I'm usually like, don't shoot that shit at me. Speaking of squirting things in people's mouths, I'm going to have to get a tube full of sake to squirt in people's mouths because they do that when they go. See, when I was a kid, that was great. Right. Now, I'm like, could you Because your parents, you'd watch your parents do it. Just stop with the whole show and just serve me some good food. And I like watching you cook the food. I don't think they can because they have to justify that like $30 a person price point. Okay, so one of the things you're going to have to do also, well, I may do to help you, would be to get one of those heads and it smells like vomit inside. Because you're talking about an oversized full head mask that looks like a Chinese Doll. doll yeah and there's a boy one and a girl one uh-huh. and when we took your son there for his birthday they brought it out and they're gonna sing the japanese version of happy birthday and he's like, he's no, no, like no, no, no 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 and then you, they put it on him and then i just heard him say as they were singing happy birthday in japanese it smells so bad it's gross <laughs> that's a story that's gone oh, on for poor kid <laughs> i wondered if during covid when the teppanyaki places opened up if they of course they didn't put that little this is the whole thing and i, I know i've said this a thousand times but you guys were already disgusting before you decided that everyone needed to social distance and put masks on. I'm like, you're gross. Why would you put that thing on your face? I'm going to have to get one of the tall hats so that when I'm flinging shrimp into your mouth, I can fling the tails up into the top of my hat. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put the oil in the shape of a heart or a happy face and they light that on fire. On I'm going to I'm gonna have to perfect all of these skills. Saki will get me there. Don't worry. <laughs> 
Then you asked the... I'm not sure I can handle it. <laughs> then we had the conversation about butchering versus slaughtering. And I had said that butchering, as the chef did at the farm-to-table cooking experience, was to take the whole birds and then cut them into the pieces that he wanted. You said, well, what's slaughtering? What's butchering? We got into a whole thing about that. We're both right. They're kind of synonymous. If you wanted to get technical, slaughter is the process of killing an animal for food. Butcher, as a verb, is to cut up an animal for food. See, that is the, and that was the argument last week, ultimately, what I was trying to say, is that butchers don't generally slaughter anymore. Now, they may have back right. in the old days, mm-hmm. but bringing in an entire animal and then hanging it up for two weeks so that it can have its hang time and getting all its innards out, and then that's usually when the butcher purchases it, either together or in pieces, and then the butcher co- goes and cuts it into more formalized pieces to sell to the customers. We, as a couple, like to get caught up in the minutiae of being correct about these really specific, meaningless things, ultimately. Yes. That's without a doubt. That is... (laughs) We, like any other couple or relationship... Both like to be right? We're... Not only do we both like to be right, but we're both... um, sensitive and i don't like the way this conversation is going because this is where i'm gonna say and you've got a lot of pain and baggage and trauma that you haven't released yeah you've been saying that a lot recently i have been i've spent two decades of my life minimally that puts me at age 20 about the time that i was having my first child analyzing i'm an analytical person i'm a a, I, i analyze sociology i analyze communication i analyze the universe i analyze the garden and look at things and go, okay, well, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? It's not unusual for women to be a little bit more willing to analyze themselves in the pursuit of wellness or a shift in happiness, that kind of thing. And it's not unusual for men to put up strong, thick, defensive boundaries around anyone knowing that they have any sensitivities or pain or trauma or things about themselves that they need to release or analyze or let go of. The notion of having a lot of pain and baggage that needs to be unpacked sounds wonderful. Sounds like a fun, fun, awesome, exciting thing to do. It's horrible. I'm being sarcastic. I think the most simplest thing that I told you, which it seems simple to me, but I know is not as simple because I've had years of hearing words that didn't resonate with me until all of a sudden they did. And that is the idea that if you feel pain, if you feel pain, it's not about someone else. And blaming it on someone else doesn't get to the root of where the trauma in you or the wounding in you comes from. Because... If someone does something to you, now, first of all, if you were in alignment to have something done to you, then that's yours too. But second of all, if someone does something to you that someone else might perceive as painful and it doesn't even bother you, then -hmm. it's not yours. It's theirs. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are people listening and people that listen to me talk in the world that are like, I didn't cause this thing that happened to me that was painful. I did not cause it. And I will never believe that. And that's okay. That is okay. You are free to live your life in the way that makes you the most happy. I guess stay tuned. Yeah. Tell me if I need to correct this. Speaking of pain and trauma, (laughs) you had another chapter in your ongoing dental fun. 
Yeah, we were, were talking about wisdom teeth with Savannah yesterday, and I was like, I was born without those. And then she goes, you were born without a lot of teeth. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of weird like that. And it's, <laughs> I've been knowing this weird pain body shit for all my life. Episode 2.21, if you do the math, that's 15 weeks ago, was entitled Soft Foods Only This Sent Shockwaves Through Our House. You can go back and listen to that to hear more about Aislinn's journey here. I did kind of challenge myself to figure out more ways to do things with greens. Mm -hmm. Mainly because the way that I have been preparing greens wasn't my favorite. Because at this point now, we've been eating greens since November. Yeah. November, December, January, February, March, April, May. We've had seven months of greens and mm. we would have had more if we hadn't had the freeze. Right. So I think more than anything else, you just kind of get bored Variety, with it. Yeah. yeah. And if you're eating the same like boiled greens or sauteed greens or wilted greens and then also don't forget your smoothies that are green and also don't forget every once in a while we're going to make that green soup and then if you're gonna i think that you just get tired of it but the other side of it is if you really care about your wellness you suck it up some things are just boring and they're just going to be a part of your life and you just eat them i was anticipating the idea that you would need a nice soup when we got home from the dentist and i made the night before listen to this title Super simple, very green soup. Yeah. And it was very green. Yeah. It looked like the ooze from the uh, Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. It's like a smoothie, but like a savory smoothie instead of a sweet smoothie. Soup, soup, building a soup. I love building a soup. And I did <laughs> get to build a soup. And 90% of the soups that we make are using our frozen stored chicken broth from the previous time or two that we had made a chicken and then adding to it the vegetables or the chicken, the pasta or the rice at the end. I like our little routine of me letting you taste it every 10, 15 minutes as it's building. I need mm -hmm. to add this. I need to add that. This one was real simple. And I liked this direction. Throw in any other vegetables that might make sense. Because you asked me what kind of smoothie type soup could I make for you. Mm -hmm. And I said, you should just make a green soup because I have a lot of green things. Yes. Oil in your soup pot. Then you add your onion. I grew that. Then you add a little garlic. Not that. Then you add a little ginger. Not that. Then you add some... Although I could grow ginger here. I just need to get to it. Then you add your broth, salt, and potatoes chopped up. We did grow those, although I think these were from the farmer's market. Then two heaping cups of whatever. Yeah. A little bit of cauliflower, some squash. Some broccoli, just whatever. Then four cups of tightly packed, and you fill in the blanks with the greens that you have. Right, what right. all, what yeah. all did we put in this? Cabbage leaves, broccoli leaves. Mm -hmm. Kale spinach, yeah. just whatever's left. Because that's the other thing too, is that the, a lot of that stuff, things you might use in a salad, we're past the point of using it in a salad anymore. So it's either going to go in a smoothie or a soup or cooked somehow because it's not pretty and soft enough anymore to be salad greens. Transfer it all to your Vitamix, your blender and or your processor and zip it. Did you put some of my celery in that? Yes. Trying to remember. Yeah, okay. I yeah. Because that's the thing that I'm really excited about this year. Well, celery I grew from seed this year. A few years ago, I mean, maybe two years ago, I had a couple of really successful celery plants that I had bought from the nursery. And it gave us so much celery that we ended up harvesting celery and drying it so that you have celery powder to use. It was just a ridiculous amount of beautiful celery off of a couple of plants because instead of harvesting the entire head like they do on a farm, which someday if I'm growing so much celery that I can harvest people entire heads of celery, I will do that. But I'm not there yet. 
So what I've been doing is I just go in and do cuttings of the celery. And it's got these big, beautiful green leaves, things that people throw away, things right. that they cut off the top of at the grocery store right. is the best part, the most flavorful cooking part of it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's great about growing your own or buying directly from a farmer's market is that we're buying better quality flavor. Flavor. Yeah. If the, the variety if the, isn't yeah. a variety that's for shelf stability and is full of water, sure. and so it's going to be super hard and crisp, and or it's picked only before good it was for, supposed to, and, right. and and radically altered to make it appear the way it's supposed to. Right. If the strawberries that you buy on average at the grocery store are a five, mm -hmm. then the strawberries that we buy at the farmers market that are grown in Poteet, Texas, the strawberry capital of the country are a nine or 10. They're a nine. The ones that come out of my backyard are a 10. There you go. <laughs> so I'll post that recipe on all of our stuff. Hey parents, start young with your littles when it comes to green stuff and make it easy and palatable. One of the things I used to do when my kids were really young was I would do like a blended green of the things that were growing in the garden or whatever. And then I would toss it with olive oil and my noodles, right? Because noodles, kids eat noodles. And I can be silly with them about it. These are funny, silly green noodles and they taste delicious and you should eat some. And the thing about it is, is that if you haven't yucked their yum already by basically everyone teaching children that things that are green are gross, then you can make it fun for them. So you can say, tonight we're making a bowl of slime. Let's eat slime. Yay, it's fun. But you can only do that if you start when they're little. You yeah. can't do it when they're already seven and they've already decided that green food is disgusting and right. you and all of your cousins have said, ugh, green food is gross. Well, I'd say that by seven, most kids have gotten into the habits of their care providers of what food is. And the fact of the matter is, is that the moment they go to school, um, society's... I'm talking from experience. I, didn't, I did not do it right with my kids and getting them to eat nutritionally and healthily whenever I decided to do that was a challenge because I had trained them not to eat that way. I mean, we have a great experiment of sitting two kids side by side that didn't grow up together before the age of seven, basically. Right. And you can see that it's not like my kids don't eat the crap they shouldn't eat. Don't complain about green things. Don't, you know, they do. No matter what you do as a parent at home, when you push them out into the world, the, the world still conditions people. The kids they eat with at school make fun of them because they eat green foods. I remember in fourth grade, there was a girl that ate raw onions and everybody was mean to her. And I thought to myself, gosh, now as an adult, I'm like, it's not just about the home life. It's about the rest of the world. Social conditioning. It's about the social conditioning right, right of it wrong. as well. Like you're gross. You eat tomatoes at school, little kid. And then the kid goes home and goes, I didn't know I was, wasn't cool eating tomatoes. Mom, don't ever put tomatoes in my lunchbox again. You know, but if you see our kids sitting side by side, you can see where the transition began to happen finally, where it made it easier, where when kids, my kids who were conditioned one way at home went out into the world and there was a little bit of a different conditioning in the world, then divorce happens and then there's two sets of households and that's different. Two sets of rules. Two sets of rules. And so there's some of that that starts happening and then they, they but they still come back to the table. I think it's an interesting kind of an experiment the way we had our two kids at the same table eating this is what you have to eat. This is what you have to eat. This is what you have to eat. And of course, there's always a peanut butter and jelly available in this house and a banana and an apple as well. <laughs> but Lily said the other day, she came home and no, she's getting to that age. She's getting to that age where she's begun to realize that she knows some things that other kids at the school don't know because okay, right. of being raised by me and I'm just different and I've taught different things. Girls at this age, 
care very much about being, especially in today's world, they care about their diet. They care about healthy eating. They care about vegetarian, vegan. They care about social issues related to food. The children of our age care about things that we did not give two shits about, right? Even if we might have eaten some raw, right? Exactly. They don't live in a world where they can't not think about it because it's all that anyone thinks about or talks about anymore. And health and wellness and you know the environment and all of those things that they have to be concerned about or have been taught that they have to be concerned about. And so she said, well, one of my friends brought a little one of those little containers of cherry tomatoes, and it was full of all different colored. Tomatoes. And someone else at the table said to that person who was next to Lily, Ugh, what's up with the green tomatoes? Yeah, tomatoes aren't yellow. And Lily said, Oh, you've never seen all the different colors of tomatoes. There's green tomatoes and purple tomatoes and yellow tomatoes and orange tomatoes and all the different colored tomatoes. And they said, Oh, well, did they taste the same? And of course, Lily, she's knowing things, Mm -hmm. right? She goes, Yeah, they taste the same. She got home, so she was excited to tell me that story. Sure. You know, she's been telling me stories like that lately. Yeah. Like, I told them, I'm going to get flowers from my mom for Mother's Day, you know, or whatever. You uh-huh. know, just like... My stepdad's going to make an onion volcano. <laughs> Tapanyaki. Have you been to my family's farm-to-table dinner yet? <laughs> but, you know, and so there's a level of pride for her there. I think that's what it is. I think there's a level of pride for her there. You're right. You all know me well enough to know that I can't just go, oh, yeah, they taste the same. No, no, no. No, no, no. More information required. Right. They actually don't taste the same. There's the purple ones that are more savory. The green ones are going to be more sweet and tart. And, oh, by the way, let me give you an entire lesson on paste tomatoes which you have gotten the paste tomato lesson because when i met joe he would make pico de gallo i love pico de gallo makes the pico de gallo you don't like so pico he de would gallo. go to the grocery store i would and he would buy a bag of roma tomatoes those are from italy <laughs> and he would bring them home and he would make pico de gallo out of them Onion, after jalapeno. he put them in the refrigerator oh that's not right when he got home from the grocery store i thought that's what you did and I said several times, you do realize these tomatoes are not for making pico de gallo. Not only are they not good tomatoes to begin with, mm-hmm. not to say that Roma tomatoes aren't good, but the grocery store tomatoes. These tomatoes are paste tomatoes. I'm telling Lily this story now. These tomatoes are paste tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, the big fat round ones, they're like plum size, plum tomatoes. It's like, that's the kind you make the marinara sauce with, the spaghetti sauce with. That's the kind you make the ketchup with. They're full of water and lots of sugar, and you never put tomatoes in the refrigerator. This is at the beginning of our relationship? Yes. So I probably said, thank you for the information. Come over here and make out with me. Pretty much. And you probably did. Pretty much. Come over here and make what, out with me No, now. what I think you said was, um, See, everybody buys Roma tomatoes. I'm not doing anything wrong. You're right. Everyone does it. So you're not doing anything wrong. That's true. And then I made you chicken nuggets. <laughs> and I said, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and he said, wait, 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 wait. What do I have to do? It is going to work. Come back out What do me. I have to do? It's fun. I'll do anything. <laughs> I mentioned that we were talking to Savannah last night. We were talking about wisdom teeth somehow. Yeah. Savannah just got back into town from Florida. Right. One of the things that she really likes to do. Oh, she had a success. Is in, thrifting. In Tampa. Yeah. yeah. She likes to go thrifting. And one of the things that I do and have done since I was their age was thrift. You know, I I find sometimes that I think that part of what's happening with Lily and I that's working is that Lily is beginning to find that she has a lot more in common with me than she maybe thought a few years ago. Sure. She's growing up. And I find that really interesting that they're at that age right now where all of a sudden 
every time they walk out the door, either one of them. Because when I was 16, I was a fringe personality, which meant I was friends with everybody, which meant you could catch me over there with the heads, totally like wearing the baggy jeans and the Pink Floyd t-shirt, or you could catch me over there with the cheerleaders with my cute little shorts and my cheerleader top on, or you could catch me, you know, with the adults at the business professionals meeting, or you could catch me with the model pageant crowd with like a fully sexy, whatever hair all done all well, lots of makeup on. And so you can see my, our daughters are different. They come from, they, they go to different schools. The way they dress is different. The people they hang out with is different. But every single time I see them walk out the door, I'm like, dude, I wore that same outfit when I was 16 years old. And so as we were talking about thrifting, because thrifting is a thing now. Yeah. I was a thrifter. You were thrifting before thrifting was cool? <laughs> like the only time the cool people went to thrift stores was when they were looking for their Halloween costume. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're one of those guys. I, I was remember. a pimp several times. <laughs> right. You find your pimp clothes. But at people Goodwill. like me knew that I couldn't get the cool clothes in Corpus Christi if I didn't go to the thrift store or the cheap stores like TJ Maxx and stuff like that. And back then it wasn't TJ Maxx. It was something else. I don't remember what it was. But that's how you found the cool clothes. The really trendy. You could find the trendy in your area. Which in our area, the trends were always a decade behind minimally. Sure. So if I wanted to get with the trends coming out of New York or California or anything like that, I had to go to the thrift stores where they were like buying bulk of clothes and selling them for super cheap. So she's telling us about you got to go on this certain day and you got to go to the, this is a good one. And it's the ones in the worst part of town that are the best ones. And then we're talking about like audiences. So we bring up this one thrift store boutique here in our town that's very popular. It doesn't fit her style. Like, it doesn't fit her age group. Right. So then we were talking about it, and I was like, oh, that thrift store is age 25 to 35 millennials, basically. Okay. They're not the young hipsters anymore, except they're still trying to be young hipsters. So are we, like the 40-year-olds, you know. Um, do you remember that when we were like, when the kids, when the boys were like 12 and 13, that they told us that we were hipsters and yes. we were like, you don't know what a hipster is. Right. Uh, you're not there yet. You know, well, well, the, the clarification <laughs> we're not, was we're too old to be hipsters. The clarification was cause Joe has a beard and y'all listen to jazz. Yeah. And it's like, I think if we look in the dictionary, that's not the definition. <laughs> Although both of those things are true. <laughs> I started pulling out some of my photos from age 16 basically mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially because i had gone to europe uh -huh. i'm blowing savannah's mind i watched you and i chuckled you ran and found your albums and she was totally into it no but i just wanted Look to say i'm pants. not exaggerating like i'm not saying you would wear the things that i was wearing and the reason i know that is because i see you guys walk out the door in the same clothes i was wearing because i think back of those times and i think god i was i dressed so terribly yeah because a lot of times I would wear these big, huge baggy jeans, kind of the raver jean. Mm -hmm. People know what I'm talking about, I think. And then I'd wear these huge like band shirts. So like Pink Floyd, The Doors, but I had this freaking great shirt. It had a blue van on the front of it. And it has those, what do you call it when it has the... the it was a t-shirt? It was a t-shirt. And the bottom of the sleeve had a different color band? Yes. A ringer t -shirt. And around the, the neck had How a do different... I know that? I don't know. But because they were pop, they were still popular. I was that wearing was ringer tees before ringer tees were cool. Yeah. I wasn't. And I showed it to Savannah. I was like, look at this shirt. This is what I flew out to Europe in. And she goes, what band is that? And I was like, that's the Beastie Boys. And she goes, do you still have that shirt? And I was like, <laughs> no. I but I hand. wish I did. 
So then I'm in Europe. I'm in London where the punks hang out. I'm like in the stores. I'm buying. So I flew back to the United States of America with a pair of jeans I had bought in London that were black and white plaid. And then I found the picture and I had, it was a black t-shirt with a Rage Against the Machine uh-huh. on it. And I was like, and I had this big black fuzzy coat. Like I was some kind of like hardcore, like punk rocker with my Doc Martens on or whatever. And I just, it's just funny because I see them like that right now. And that's, she's alt girl. Yes. Self-proclaimed I alt don't girl. like this designation, but they are going to call me an alt girl. How about you just redesign what alt girl means? I think, because you, I think I, that you have to. Because I'm like, alt girl, does that mean you wear dark eyeliner? Well, I take because... her to and from school every day. So sometimes we'll go through a different school zone than her high school. Uh-huh. And she'll go, oh, look, there's the alt kids. Those were the punk rockers, right? Skelly doggers uh-huh, in middle right. school. Yeah, punks. No, yeah, The punks. Yeah, we didn't call them that. We called those skelly doggers. And on the last day of ninth grade, which was the last year of middle school back then... Mm-hmm. We dressed up like skelly doggers. And a friend of mine that was a skelly dogger gave me the recipe for gelatin mm-hmm. that he would put into his hair to make the amazing mohawks that were razor sharp and didn't move throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with mousse and hairspray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You use gelatin. Mm-hmm. So I had... <laughs> I got to find a picture and show you. That's hilarious. I had a DRI shirt on. So yeah, so that's where our conversation went from thrifting to... I, yeah. told, I told her that we're in I, style again. <laughs> I told her that I would collect her and a couple of her girlfriends, and we would have a thrifting day with lunch. But they would have to understand, and she brought this up too. Uh huh. When she said it, it made perfect sense to me because this is exactly the way Jessica and I are. She's like, I don't go thrift store shopping with other people. Because we're not going the thrift store I shopping go, to hang out side by yeah. side and go through the racks no, together. No, and anyone that thrifts like that isn't a thrifter. When you go to the thrift store, you enter the doorway and you divide. You go into your own world. You go into your own world. And you might cross paths and go, hey, look at this. Hey, what did you see that? What you looking at over there? Yeah, I don't think I want that. I picked Let this me up. I it. thought you Let might like it. it. Yeah, exactly. So then you get into your car and that's when you start pulling shit out of your bag. Or you <gasps> get home. Where'd you find that? You I didn't start see pulling that. stuff out of your bag. Look what I found. Look what I found. We'll also it up to say that where we live, mail thrift shopping sucks. I think everywhere male shirts. 25 racks of shirts for ladies, half of a rack of shirt for guys. I mean, I, I think that if we went to other bigger cities, it's much easier for male thrift store shopping. Well, you said last. But like, men in Corpus like, Christi all dress the same. You said last. So, yeah, I don't. You said last. <laughs> I can literally night, give you the prescription if you need it and you're new to town. <laughs> go, go, go ahead. No. Okay. <laughs> it might include Costa sunglasses and Magellan shirt. Or a Columbia shirt. Uh, depending on A, your income, or B, the perception that you want to give about your income. And you definitely have to have a Titleist cap or visor. <laughs> I have none of those things. Oh, and some cowboy boots, which we would support that concept. Oh, you got to have cowboy boots. I mean, we support all the concepts. I've oh, got Magellan shirts. I've got, I'd love to have some Costa sunglasses. What Actually, I have, my sunglasses are great. Okay, I've already purchased are. your Mother's Day gift. I think there's a thread there that didn't get sewn up, but that's fine. I've already, I've already purchased your Mother's Day gift, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to try to find you your Beastie Boys Van t-shirt. Oh, good luck with that. That'd be great. 
Last week, we mentioned that we were headed out to dinner that night. Our friends that own the Italian food restaurant here in town called Bellino's had invited us to dinner. And they've done some additional work on their restaurant. They got creative They're, in the time of COVID. And I was telling somebody yesterday, I was Constantly like, innovating? This, yes, that. That's what I was saying about this chef. I was like, he is a creator and he's going to just keep creating and he's going to keep doing more cool stuff. They and expanded their square footage. There you go. They created a saletta which I learned from them, is a living room. So it's a more comfortable space. And the chef made it very clear that this space is my space. And if I say, don't book it, I'm going to bring my friends to dinner. This is where... And I think that it works out really nicely for them because he likes to have more of a family-style, quiet, private dinner. Yes. Comfortable, family, couch, vinyl record player, nice long chef's table. And one of the reasons why I was so excited was we put in a record player, but we don't have any records yet. So, Joe, could you bring some records? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get to orchestrate the music for Mm -hmm. our dining experience. Exactly. So we just went and hung out with our friends in their saleta. Um, Otis Redding, by the way, was the most popular record of the evening. I'm pretty sure when Tribe Called Quest went on, there was some people that were about to get up and dance. Yeah, now we're elevating this thing to a different (laughs) level. It's getting into party scene. We better get our goobers. I mentioned that you had a friend in town from Oregon who might show up, and she did. She did after all. It was a really, like I said last week, one of the things I enjoy about the dining experience, be it at our table or a restaurant, is that in that moment, you're going to create an experience that cannot be duplicated. Oh, that night couldn't... There's no way that night could have been duplicated. What do you mean? That was such an energetic, amazing experience of people. I've been trying to describe it. I've talked to you about it, and I've talked to my mom about it a couple times. But there was so much swirling energy of conversation going on at that table. I think you mentioned the idea that it was really loud and that everyone was talking and everyone just keeps talking louder. And This is what I mentioned, that we were in a room where four out of the five people use the technique of attempting to take control of the conversation by raising their volume. You and I do that together often. Sure. You and I do that here on this show. Sure. We both want to say something. Yeah. Whoever's loudest gets to say it. Yeah. That got overwhelming for me, I'll be honest with you. I didn't feel that way about it in the slightest. Yes, there was a lot of energy. And the level of the room was rising higher and higher and higher. And the comment that I made was, I have no idea what we even ate or drank. But I could pull amazing conversations that happened that day. Some very, very healing energetic, creative, amazing conversations because there was some of the most creative, energetic, amazing people all sitting at the table together. I looked over at you <laughs> and you looked like you you were almost cross-eyed. I found myself getting up and excusing myself from the room because it was just... You weren't in the flow. That's exactly what it was. And I could see it. I could see it then. And I was like... Tell me more. What do you mean? Everything I do is geared towards being in alignment with this energetic flow that is very high vibration. I'm not always there. I like it when I am. I want to be careful not to confuse exhaustion and energy sucking from lightness lifting up the entire room. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened is because you have been struggling with some pain and healing and some things. 
that we're talking about and learning about. I think that you were being exhausted by what was happening in that room because it wasn't acting the same way for you. We were having interesting private conversations that were energy filled on both sides of me. You know, I talked to Susan about a friend that she was communicating to about wellness. She's like, I'm having a hard time giving this information to a friend and having them receive it. And I actually brought you up and I said, sometimes you can't until they're ready to receive it. And all you can do is hold love and energy and light for that person until they're ready to receive that kind of energy because anything else comes across incorrectly. It comes across as energy sucking. It comes across as overwhelming. It comes across as I'm superior to you. It comes across as I know more than you. It comes For someone ac- that's not prepared to be involved in that kind of conversation, I assume. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. There was so much opportunity at that table because of who was at it, because of what we were experiencing together. Having people in the room that hadn't seen each other in quite a while. Yes. That kind of, oh, yeah. that kind of homecoming Lisa's energy. been in Oregon for two years because the pandemic hit shortly after she moved back up there yeah. and couldn't come home. On the way home, I told you, uh, man, there was just so much competition for the floor that I just decided to be quiet. That's the thing you need to tap into. What do you mean? The feeling of competition at the floor. That that's my perception yes. when it's not the only perception? That, was, that wasn't what was happening. That It happens a lot. And I have said that before, that yeah. one of the challenging parts about being friends with us is that we're loud and we yes. talk. Yes. And if you aren't somebody that can force back, which I think the reason why it works with us and Susan and Francesco is because their conversation can interject just as loud yes. and just as... And so if you don't have that ability to like level up, level up, level but up have, in the but conversation... But you also have to give and you have to take and you have to allow... But it comes and then you have easier to... if you are in alignment with the flow sure. of the the room. Well, I can tell you this. The reason why I think that I could participate better in that high energy vibration conversation that was stressing me out. Exactly. I, I could see it. Was that I shut up. And I think that a part of my level up is I need to be quiet more often. When you say that you need to be more quiet in life, I think that that side of things will come easier to you when you spend more quiet time when you're by yourself. Yeah. Not yes. when you're in a room with other people. Okay. If you learn to be quiet when you're by yourself, okay. which is when, when the pain comes out, mm. and it's not fun, and it's hard, no, I'm just not. and we don't know how to do it, and our brain starts thinking of all the other things because you're, mi- you're brainy and you're mindy, and you're going to be that there. That happens, uh-huh. but I cannot tell you that I'm resonating with the notion that when I'm quiet and by myself is when the pain comes out. I can't I can't tell you that I'm connected to that sentence at all. I believe you right. because I know you don't know what the pain is. Do and the go, reason I know that okay, listen. Do we go down this many <laughs> years ago, yeah. many years ago, yes. a therapist said to me, "Tell me about your day." And then you told him about your day. And then they said to you, "How does that make you feel?" Mm-hmm. And you say, "Well, anxious and overwhelmed and no, no. How does it make you feel? Do you feel it in your body somewhere? Oh, well, I kind of have a knot in my throat. Or, oh, my stomach has a little ball of hurt in it. I've never even noticed that before. Huh. That's the pain body. That's the thing that you look for, find. And the thing about it is, and this is the thing that I've been being taught and learned a lot lately, and that is you don't know what you don't know. Number one. You don't know what you have inside 
because you've been pushing it away for so long that you don't even connect with it. You have hidden it from yourself. You have convinced yourself it's not there, but it's there. And the reason you know it's there is any time you feel angered, judgmental, embarrassed, embarrassed for talking too much in a room, Mm -hmm. overwhelmed because everyone's talking too loud and you want to have something to say or not or vice versa, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it is, those are your pain bodies. And those are the ones you start with. Because what we've done is we've blamed our pain on everyone else. And then we say, I don't have any pain. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You face the pain. Mm. All of that being said, it's a lot easier for someone that is releasing a lot of that stuff and holding a lot of light and compassion, holding a lot of space for light Mm -hmm. to walk into a very, very energetic space like that, where there's a lot of light and love just being exploded everywhere. Almost like if you could see the light in the room, it looks like an explosion of fireworks going off everywhere. It looked like that that night. Like that's what it looked like. Yeah. And now we'll transition right on over to table topics. What do you remember about your first day of school? I don't remember my first day of school. All I remember is that my mom brushed my hair really hard. She did that when I was little. And she put it into two braids on the side of my head because I had really long hair. Okay. So I know I went to school with two braids on the side of my hair, two long braids on the side of my head. I remember that my kindergarten teacher taught me how to tie my shoes. I remember that I wanted to play soccer with the boys and everyone told me I was boy crazy in kindergarten because I wanted to play soccer with the boys. The first day of school you were boy crazy? No, but the first day of school at a new school I was told I was boy, my mom was told I was boy crazy. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that the confusion with boy crazy is she likes to play outside and right. kick balls with the boys. Right. And she's not playing with the Barbies at all. She must be boy crazy. <laughs> and, but in the, in the midst of that, I wasn't like a little tomboyish type. Mm-hmm. I was a girl, you mm-hmm. know, and I wore purple and I had pigtails. And you were born with all of the information, and they hadn't told you exactly what was right and wrong yet. Exactly. To put you in your little box. Exactly. My parents had a photo album that had my picture of my first day of school. So I remember it, which helps me remember it. I yeah, remember my right. outfit that I had on. Yeah. I remember it was a white t shirt, my bowl haircut, which was all of the rage back then. I remember being introduced to my homeroom teacher, Miss Flores. I remember a See, guy. See, I can't even remember my kindergarten teachers. Well, first grade is what I'm calling my first day of school. You didn't go to kindergarten? I did, but it was more of like a daycare type situation. Okay. No, I like definitely went. Right to, down the street. I went to the elementary school. I got on the bus. Yeah. All of it. I remember a kid that vomited a lot at school, vomiting the first day of school. Hmm. Running to the bathroom, hand over his mouth, chunks flying Mm. from between his fingers. And I know that the embellishment of memory over time probably has that much more cinematic than it really, really was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't remember much. I remember that I wanted to be friends with a girl named Jennifer. Mm -hmm. She was cool and popular. What was was good about her? I have no idea, but she, she must have had things I didn't have. I got you. And she was having a birthday party. And it was one of those situations where she didn't want to invite me. 
But oh boy, in kindergarten you invite everybody, right? And then they were mean to me at the party. Oh shit! She's well. See, here's the thing that's interesting about this question and the things we've been talking about today is that I've been looking back a lot. So so to bring up. Why did they teach me I was a boy crazy? Because I like to play soccer with the boys. And why did they teach me? And when I say the, they, I'm not talking about like my parents. I'm talking about like society and the teachers and just the whole system of mm-hmm. it. Why did I care that Jennifer didn't like me? Yeah. I remember she had a really lame, what was that? Dorothy Hamill bowl haircut. Sure. I, that's all I remember. That would have been the rage. You know? I was one of the she poor, I was cool one of the with... poor kids that lived over there in the poor part of not the not the fancy suburban neighborhood. I was the one that lived in the poor rural neighborhood. She didn't you look know, cool like... with her long braids like you did. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I was the cool kid. Listen to this title: Super Simple, Very Green Soup. I've spread my virus. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. <laughs>